From the Hydrogen Media offices in Washington, D.C., this is Everything About Hydrogen. I'm Andrew Leadham, General Counsel at Biotech, and joining me is Patrick Malloy, Manager in the Breakthrough Technologies Group at RMI, Chris Jackson, CEO of Proteum, and we are thrilled to have the newest member of the gang, Alicia Eastman, President of Intercontinental Energy, with us to kick off Season 4 of EAH in a big way. On today's episode, Alicia, Chris, and Patrick are chatting with Vanjay Rajakoba, UK Managing Director at Robert Bosch. The Bosch Group is a leading global supplier of technology and services and employs roughly 403,000 associates worldwide. Its operations are divided into four business sectors, mobility solutions, industrial technology, consumer goods, and energy and building technology. Bosch believes that hydrogen has a bright future as an energy carrier and is making considerable upfront investments in this area. From 2021 to 2024, the company plans to invest around 600 million euros in mobile fuel cell applications and a further 400 million euros in stationary ones for the generation of electricity and heat. Vanjay is here with us to discuss more about what Bosch's expansion into the hydrogen energy sector will look like and how the company expects the market to grow moving forward. But before we get into it, we'd just like to ask that if you enjoy the show and follow us here at EAH, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. It really does help us promote the show and reach a larger audience. Plus, we love hearing from our listeners. All right, let's get this episode started. So now we're into season four, and we're delighted to have as our first guest today, Vanjay from Bosch. Roger, welcome to the podcast. Good afternoon. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. My name is Vonji Rajakoba, and I'm the managing director of Bosch in the UK and Ireland. And Bosch is active in mobility. Our major activity, major sector is uh, automotive. So we're the first um, supplier to OEMs. Uh, we also are active in consumer goods with power tools, home appliances, boilers, and industrial goods. So we are active in different uh, sectors. Yes, so I've been here now for two, uh, two years in the UK. And one activity, of course, where we've started to invest recently is hydrogen. And I think that's one of the reasons why we are talking together today. That's actually one of our bigger questions. Um, why hydrogen? Why is Bosch going down this route? Okay, why hydrogen? First of all, there is the climate imperative or the CO2 emission reduction imperative. In the UK, for instance, okay, we want to be carbon neutral by 2050. And in order to achieve that, we need to have new sources of energy. And I say sources, not a new source of energy, because we believe that we need a, a balanced energy mix. There are many different solutions, not only one. Electrification definitely is one of them. But we think also hydrogen plays a role there, being a, a green hydrogen, being a emission-free uh, source of energy. Mm -hmm. So that's one side is the, I'd say, the decarbonization uh, requirement. A second one, which was more, which has increased in intensity recently, is the um, energy security. Uh, we know that uh, it's important to have sec uh, security of energy supply. And the good thing with hydrogen is that it can be produced 
where it's going to be used. So these are the two main reasons, I think, which uh, makes the investment and the um, activities in hydrogen relevant and important for Bosch. So, so obviously, you know, I, I suppose that the hydrogen world is expanding rapidly and, and the opportunities both on the technical side, but also on the market side are, are, are developing, you know, quite, quite a pace as well. I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm just interested, perhaps, what areas of the, the hydrogen ecosystem is, is Bosch, you know, particularly focused on? Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed, it's a wide, uh, wide eco- ecosystem. We position ourselves in at various uh, stages of the hydrogen value chain. So, on the production of hydrogen, we provide components for electrolysis, which is then the production equipment to manufacture, say, to generate hydrogen. So that's on one side. We also position ourselves in mobility and static energy generation from hydrogen. So to be more specific, on the mobility side, we are developing fuel cells for vehicles, uh, more specifically for uh, heavy good vehicles. And on the static side, using SOFC, we are uh, developing fuel cells then for stations, so energy stations, in order to power data banks or data centers, sorry, or provide off-the-grid electricity. And then there is the application uh, section where we have developed hydrogen-ready boilers from our subsidiary uh, Worcester Bosch, developed here in the UK, where we also, uh, of course, uh, already delivered prototypes. And we also, um, for our home appliance division, developed uh, home appliances which can work with hydrogen. So these are the different areas across the hydrogen value chain or the economy where we as Bosch are active. And a more recent development is in the distribution for refueling stations where we, with a partner, so with uh, Maximator Hydrogen, we are uh, developing a solution for compressing hydrogen for filling stations and storage tanks in order to make hydrogen then available in more than uh, 4,000 hydrogen filling stations. So uh, we're playing a role there also in the distribution, and that's a uh, more recent development. So that's in a nutshell the different areas where we, uh, as Bosch, we we're active. Bosch is working across almost all the components of the value chain at this point, right? You have the production of hydrogen, you have the compression of hydrogen, and you have the different end-use applications. You know, the residential boiler you spoke about, um, you spoke about the mobility side, but I noticed that you, uh, in sort of going through that level of the value chain. What are the particular challenges that you're trying to resolve? Where does Bosch see its real value add coming into this space? What are the, you know, is your role to be able to offer the full product suite to people? Is that the challenge you're trying to resolve? Is it a scaling up challenge that you're trying to resolve? Is it still a technology one? You know, where do you see Bosch's sort of unique or, you know, where, where do you kind of see you're contributing the most towards moving the ecosystem forward? First of all, we, we believe in a, an hydrogen industry or an hydrogen economy. So only tackling one aspect of, uh, of the economy 
would not be sufficient to fast track the adoption of hydrogen. Therefore, since we also have expertise in these areas, we are present on the production of hydrogen because we need to make hydrogen available. But that's not sufficient. We also need to create the use cases. Yeah. And mobility plays a key role for us because we are say, our origins or our DNA, uh, our main business is in mobility as a um, in, in uh, as a as an OEM uh, supplier. So therefore, there it's crucial for us that as much as we are present in electrification and in electrical power trains, where we've already invested billions of, um, of euros, we also invest then for hydrogen for heavy good vehicles. Because you um, on the mobility side, it depends on the range. For, um, for short ranges, electrification is really the, uh, the best solution. For longer ranges, we need, um, we think we need hydrogen, especially then for heavy good vehicles, with also shorter refueling time. So this is an area which is important for us. And on the heating side, with the, uh, with the boilers, we address the decarbonization of, uh, of heating. Why we need to be present in mobility and in, uh, in the heating space? If we take the UK as an example, I think uh, residential, uh, residential contribution to CO2 emission is about 37% in the UK. Transportation accounts for about 20%. So if we take then residential uh, emission of uh, CO2 from heating and transportation emission in the UK, we're already nearly addressing 50% of the main sources of um, CO2 emission with the solutions that we're bringing. So we believe that this will be helpful to um, achieve a carbon neutral target by 2050 by addressing these two major CO2 emitters. But I mean, if I may, Vanjir, as a follow-up, and I'm, this is where I'm veering off script slightly, um, as, as is one to do, 50% um, is a huge market to go after. A very exciting, but it's a very big market to go after. Um, and you know, as you mentioned, the company, you know, Bosch, has been around for a long time, has invested in a lot of this space. Why have you chosen to do a lot of this with partners? You know, obviously on the fuel cell side, you work with PowerCell, but you also have a relationship with Ceres Power. You know, on the OEM side, again, you, you have various different partners that you're working through as well. So given that there is so much opportunity on the table and that Bosch has, you know, this fantastic expertise, why not do it yourself? Might be the question people would ask. Why did you feel the need to work with partners and how did you choose the partners that you did? We're working with partners in order to accelerate time to market primarily. And of course, we need to find partners who are also uh, have complementary technologies and expertise to, to us. Of course, one could say, let's invest and uh, take the time which is required in order to, to come up with the technologies with all the systems by ourselves. But here, once again, the imperative of decarbonization is by 2050. We can't wait too long in order to, to, to come up with solutions which are viable for that. Hence, the need to have these partnerships and these alliances primarily motivated by the accelerating time to market. 
and accelerating then the adoption of uh, of hydrogen. So there is, of course, there is a economical motivation behind it, but a wider motivation is we we have a we have already a commitment in 2050 to to have a, a, a carbon neutrality, and uh, so it's important to reach that uh, that that deadline. So whatever is necessary to reach the deadline, I think we need to consider it. Maybe reframed a different way then, Vanger. Is part of what Bosch is doing in the ecosystem that's quite unique is Bosch is providing that market confidence and that credibility of taking products and scaling them to the market. And so you see the big value add for Bosch in this ecosystem as taking ideas and technologies from partners that, you know, the product idea works, but it now needs to be commoditized, standardized, cross-port down and distributed. And that's the real big value-add piece that Bosch is starting to bring in, to your point, to accelerate the pace of the transition. And that's why partners are important, because you know, that's the biggest value-add that you bring into the ecosystem, is the ability to scale up with that trustworthy, credit-worthy infrastructure that sits behind the Bosch brand and the history of what you've done as a business over the last 100 and I think it's 50 years. Are we celebrating it? Is that 175, 150 years? 125 in the UK, but okay. Broadly, okay, nearly 150, yes. You're, you're right. What we're bringing to the table is, on one side, the ability to scale up innovation, yeah, to bring it really to volumes and make it accessible to, okay, to the wider public. So that's what we're really bringing. Of course, also, our ability to invest into these technologies and yeah, and industrialize them. But we need these partners to to accelerate uh, to accelerate that process. Our global presence helps us also to um, I'd say to to disseminate or to increase the scale of whatever solution we come up with. Well, you, you've mentioned your uh, commitments for 2050. I'm sure you have commitments for 2030 as well, and and. When you think about uh, how you're going to solve uh, any various issues in your end products or within the operations of your own company, how does hydrogen sit alongside other net zero technologies or uh, other approaches? So as I already mentioned earlier, we are having a technology uh, neutral approach. We believe that we need the combination of different technologies in order to achieve faster decarbonization. Uh, and I'll give you uh, a couple of examples. So in the mo- mobility field, we are working on um, electrical power trains. So we're one of the uh, largest supplier also of uh, electrical power trains today in the mobility side. That also involves uh, e-bikes. If we are referring to heating, we are providing also as a net zero technology we're providing heat pumps. We're working on heat pumps. We're one of the uh, world leaders for heat pumps. But we are, together with that, and working on hydrogen-ready boilers. So uh, it's really uh, trying to tap into the all technologies that we can scale up, bring into volumes, and um, have a stronger footprint in the decarbonization. Could you help me understand in what situations you would say use heat pumps and in what situation you would use hydrogen boilers? 
mm. mean, what, what, what differentiates those cases? Mm. Is it different in different geographies or uh, different systems of feeding? What, what would make you bet on one versus the other? So um, to make it simple, maybe let's take the, uh, the UK as an example. Yeah. For heat pumps, you need, you, you're using uh, the heat, which is okay, from the ground. And that's uh, going to be uh, uh, transformed into electricity. In order for heat pumps to work properly, you need uh, homes which are well isolated. You also need more space for the external units and a tank for the heat pumps. So when you have a new new building or buildings with basements and so on and well insulated, then heat pumps is a good and appropriate solution. However, in the UK, we have a legacy fleet of houses where you do not have a basement, where we have poor isolation, insulation, sorry, and also where you have limited space. So here, the hydrogen boilers are ideal because you can virtually just take oh, today a gas boiler and replace it by an hydrogen boiler knowing that hydrogen can be also transported using the gas pipes. So here you really have a one technology uh, which is fit for new houses yeah, or new buildings and another one which is more appropriate for the existing fleet. So there is no one size fits all. And I think all of these technologies are necessary in order to um, decarbonize. So, so maybe maybe following on from the the broader strand of um, kind of product offerings and, and market positions you, you you're kind of taking, um, you know, are, are there any particularly good examples of of kind of projects that are underway, or you know, uh, I suppose deployment of the technologies that that you're excited about, or that that are perhaps maybe even people aren't aware that that you're involved. Yes, um, I can give two examples. For example, is for uh, fuel cells for in mobility, we've got now 70 hydrogen-powered trucks yeah, using our fuel cell technology, which are operating in China. And they're with Bosch fuel cell systems and can travel more than 500 kilometers uh, on a full tank uh, with roughly 12 uh, kilograms of hydrogen. And it only takes five to, to 10 minutes to refuel these tanks and including some safety checks. So the truck accelerates faster than any truck with combustion engine. And uh, the test vehicles travel daily around uh, Chongqing in China and make trips to Chengdu, which is roughly about 300 kilometers um, away every day. So this is really... Uh, live projects which are going on on the mobility side uh, in China. There's one project also we're really excited about uh, on our uh, solid uh, oxide fuel cells, and that's a, a station powered by hydrogen in, uh, in Bamberg, in a city in, um, in Bavaria, where we've got a micro power plant, you know, with the size of a uh, refrigerator, and which generates around 10 kilowatt electricity, which is enough to meet the annual requirements of a 24-person household. And with a, um, an overall efficiency of 60% for power generation and more than 85% with additional use of the heat, 
Yeah? This stationary uh, fuel cell is superior to other energy converters of its size. Yeah? So the heat, which is also produced from the uh, micropower plant, is used then by a bakery just by the uh, bus station for its heating and hot water systems. So they all include technology developed by Ceres, also a partner in the UK, and of course then industrialized by Bosch. So these two, uh, these two projects, one in mobility, one stationary, uh, use of hydrogen, are really so some of our highlight projects that we were proud of. Just on on those uh, on those ones, something I've sort of noticed is that um, the Ceres fuel cell um, has obviously been used in a number of residential applications in Japan and in other markets, and you've touched on it here in Germany. And you also spoke about how Bosch is doing hydrogen residential boilers. How do you decide, or a little bit of a theme from Alicia's earlier question? You know, does Bosch have a, a view, or is this an example of you being technology agnostic on having a, a heat pump at home versus having a hydrogen boiler at home? Do you kind of see the market being equally attractive for both, or do you think some countries are going to be more inclined towards one technology than the other? Um, you're right. It really depends on the market. For instance, when we look at Germany, Germany is more inclined to use heat pumps yeah, because you've got larger homes with basement, better insulated than you would have, for instance, here in the UK. So heat pumps are would be more widespread in, uh, in Germany. And as I say, here in the UK, it's, uh, it's different. And th there's a market for both, for, as I said earlier, for uh, new build and legacy, uh, legacy fleet. But we want to ensure that we are present on both solutions because both solutions are helping the car carbon neutrality and there is a market for both solutions. I've named here two countries, but there are then other countries that will, uh, which are more in between. In France, for instance, there is a market really equally for uh, heat pumps as much as there is for hydrogen. And there are also other markets, for instance, like Japan. They've really decided to go full steam with hydrogen. Okay, <laughs> without playing with the word full steam, but... <laughs> well, I was going to say, Roger, I'm glad you touched on Japan because... Um... As I remember one of our previous guests um, from Sarah's Power describing, there was a rather great advert in Japan of a Japanese housewife singing to her Sarah's fuel cell about how wonderful it was and how it was saving her on her energy bills and how it was a wonderful thing to have in the house. So um, are we expecting that you will be doing a German or UK advert singing about the virtues of a Bosch hydrogen boiler anytime soon? At this stage, we are not really doing uh, advert in the UK. We are uh, doing advocacy because, of course, we can't just as Bosch decide to have uh, hydrogen boilers in every household, even though we would like to do it. Here we need the regulator, we need then the government to allow that and to, to fast track it. There are some tests which are being conducted in different regions of having an hydrogen village and increasing uh, every time the number of uh, of houses of households using uh, hydrogen and among others then hydrogen uh, ready boilers but we would like to see that accelerating now i think there's only a decision expected in 2026 but if we look at the lifetime of boilers and if we look again at 2050 making a decision in 20 
2026 is rather late. So we would like to uh, see the mandate for hydrogen-ready boilers, which then can work on the gas system today, but are ready to be uh, used for hydrogen when the decision is made to switch to hydrogen. So one can continue to do the test and ensure that it's absolutely fine to use hydrogen. But then when the decision is made, we can just switch from gas to hydrogen with the same boilers. And by that time, definitely we'll be more vocal about making adverts on hydrogen-ready boilers. So is that a tacit promise, Vanjay? We might get your uh, dulcet tones over the airwaves sometime soon. Yes, we will. <laughs> but so before that, of course, and that's an important point, actually, in terms of education also, it's important that we make hydrogen more accessible. Uh, sometimes it's felt a bit like a very limited circles of enlightened people who are you know, keen on adopting new technologies and more adventurous who are interested in hydrogen. But actually the application. So hydrogen is not really a new technology. There's an opportunity to scale it up. But also the uh, applications are really in our daily life. Yeah? As I said, it's, um, it's on heating, it's on uh, mobility, it's also on using home appliances, yeah? which, are, which are powered by hydrogen. So uh, we'll have to make that even more accessible to the public yeah? and tell more about the applications, not only the generation of hydrogen. That's what Chris was looking for. <laughs> he wants to audition and, and be the man singing on the commercials. You know, he's just busting out to do it. <laughs> Desperate. Well, I mean, I feel like Patrick would be a good singer. Oh, God, that's a mistake. <laughs> well, prepare. You, you, you still have a few months to prepare your voice, Patrick. <laughs> good. There you go. It's settled. I think I'll need longer than months. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, look, um, Bonjay, a final one um, before we wrap up and uh, we, we leave it for today. Um, are there any special announcements coming out um, on hydrogen or on fuel cells that Bosch is able to share with our audience today? Um, we're working on more projects. The latest ones, we, I think, are already public. And we made the latest ones in, um, in Germany during, in September during the IAA show where we've, we've uh, announced about also us equ uh, equipping uh, vines with hydrogen power trains. They are more in the pipeline uh, that we cannot yet, I'd say, disclose or share at this time. But we continue intensifying the investment we are doing in hydrogen. We want to be present at different stages in the value chain because we believe we really need to push the whole hydrogen economy. So stay tuned. More is to come. Thank you very much, Vanjay, for your time. Thank you very much. It has been a pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. What did you uh, make of the discussion? I mean, obviously, Bosch is a giant in terms of sort of, it, you know, it, its breadth and its width across industry. And certainly in automotive, it is probably, possibly one of the most famous names in the OEM space. Vanjie obviously was covering things from quite a high level, but, you know, did touch on a number of areas and some quite interesting projects. What were your key takeaways from uh, listening to him talk today? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step up maybe a level and, and talk about 
a theme here that that I think is really really important. That that often when you know we're on a podcast focused on hydrogen, right, and and as such, our content is consistently you know oriented towards that space. What what was interesting in in, in the conversation is is the the breadth of kind of technology pathways, sectors, and and also, you know, the, the kind of the role of these technologies in different strands in our effort towards decarbonization and transitioning our, our energy systems. And I think that broader, bigger theme, you know, folks like like Bosch and, and, and uh, you know, you can't you can't help but say when you can talk in uh, less than 30 seconds between uh, the mobility market and provision of electrical uh, drivetrains to uh, to heat pumps to solid oxide fuel cells. You're playing a, a pretty central role in you know kind of uh, providing the the means by which we get forward in this market in this transition. So I think that's an interesting one, in part because more and more as we get better levels of of market penetration for these technology streams, the co- inevitable conversation is what role do they play relative to each other now that they've transitioned away from the conventional technology pathways. So this is an interesting theme. It's a trend that I think is we're going to hear more and more about. I thought it was very, very interesting um, kind of point, you know, to, to kind of to hit on just first. Beyond that, I think it's just quite interesting to, to, to look at a company like Bosch with, with a selection of systems and to be trying to advance all, all of them all at once, right? Often when we talk to some of the, the OEMs that we typically have on, they're very much specialized in a specific card. Or here is, to, to your point, Chris, one of the big beasts, and it is spread across a whole series of related systems to the hydrogen space. And that, that I think, is a very, very interesting one. Um, but maybe, maybe Elisa, Alicia, uh, kick it over to you for, uh, for your thoughts. I agree. It's sort of a machine gun approach and and unexpectedly at that way. Um, they really are playing in every um, part of the field. I, I would have thought there'd be a little bit more focus on one particular area. This isn't a criticism, but it's, it's just uh, interesting. They've, they've decided to really um, check check out pretty much everything and not just with hydrogen, but with other net zero solutions and, and really dig into things. I was just curious, I mean, when he started talking about the stationary fuel cells and, and the mobility, especially the solid oxide fuel cell, like, I just want to know how many of these are there? Like, are there four in Hamburg? <laughs> and and I, I asked that because, you know, I'm thinking about Ukraine right now and how to keep it warm. And I'm wondering, you know, when are these going to become actually available to people to buy? Are these currently at a, such a high price and such a um, such a small number that it's not really a realistic solution? And are we years away from that, or is it uh, next year? So that, that's sort of what I'm I'm curious about. Well, I mean, I know um, the Ceres guys, and Ceres Power is um, the um, the sort of one of the key IP partners working with Bosch. Uh, I think when we've had them on the show before, they've said the the solid oxide fuel cell residential markets biggest location at the moment is Japan. And I think they have had 350,000 units installed. So we're talking hundreds of thousands. Um, Europe, I think, is relatively low. There was a European-funded scheme, which I think was about a 1,000, of which there were meant to be a few hundred in, um, in Germany. I don't know how many of those have been installed. There is, um, for those of you who actually want to see what a sort of Bosch slash Ceres um, residential fuel cell actually looks like, because we talk about them, but you might not have seen them. If you were to, and this is a shameless plug, 
Go to the World Bank ESMAP, Green Hydrogen in Developing Countries report, and you were to look at one of the first five cover pages, there is a photo of a EV being charged. And also on the wall next to it is a Ceres fuel cell that is running at home. And I believe it's in Phil Caldwell's house, who is the CEO of Ceres Power. So you can see that actually in the World Bank reports. There's a nice little... Who wrote that World Bank report? <laughs> I, who, who wrote it indeed? Who wrote it indeed? Um, there is, on the larger side, I think Bloom have about half a gigawatt of systems in the field, um, which are the solid oxide ones. And those units range from the 250 kilowatts up to kind of, I think the single biggest might be 25 megawatt, might be a little bit bigger now. So, so the fuel supply is actually quite widespread. I don't know if you saw, there was an announcement this week. So this is the first week of November for those listening. Um, there was an announcement that uh, Plug had just done a three megawatt fuel cell pilot successfully tested with Microsoft for one of the data centers. So the fuel cell side is actually pretty decent now at space. It's really the production of hydrogen and, and the business models around that rather than the fuel cells that seems to be the big sort of, you know, that's the bit that needs a bit of the technology innovation still. I think the fuel cell stuff is in scale up from what I'm seeing. Yeah. I mean, I thought Bloom's turned out to be quite expensive. There was a expectation there'd be one for every house, but it's like $1 million per unit. So not as uh, approachable of a price as, as we would have thought, <laughs> at least for me. I remember when we were looking at this back in the day, the first fuel cells, the PEM fuel cells for the space program worked out at $660,000 a kilowatt. And I think the last set of numbers I saw the PEM was sub $1,500 a kilowatt today. Yeah. Amazing. So, you know, still expensive but if you just think so 660,000 down to 1500 it is pretty chunky i mean i think that was kind of the point that i was trying to drive out with vonje a little bit which i think is something we don't um maybe pay enough attention to which is that you know i and many people get really excited about the sexy startup world and go, oh my god there's this really cool company that's innovated in this or created this really cool bit of ip or done this or done that but to have impact at scale you need to have manufacturing partners that can actually take it to scale that can take that IP, that can kind of make it into a standardized commodity, that can really understand all the different components that come into it and then mass manufacture and drive down cost. I think this is where people like Bosch are absolutely massive. And we've had this debate on other shows, but it's the kind of licensing model versus the build, you know, manufacture model, right? And in the UK, that debate is the ITM power model or the Sarah's power model. Right. And ITM has tried to do it all on its own and scale up and has had massive, massive challenges, you know, and the share price has taken a real hammering for that. And the Ceres model, you know, that they've had a bit of sell off because the general market sold off, but, you know, revenue year on year is up. You know, the product is getting out and being used a lot. And I don't know. It's, it's kind of an interesting contrast, isn't it? That, you know, and that's a place I think Bosch has been quite good in. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure there's virtues and, and difficulties of either model. Uh, and we probably want as many people just trying to push through in, in whichever way they can, you know, to, to actually produce that scale. So <laughs> supportive of either direction, I suppose, as long as the product gets produced. Yeah, Patrick, I mean, maybe putting, putting it slightly differently. I mean, residential hydrogen boilers is a topic that's been kind of quite live in Europe. Is it something that they really even talk about in North America? And I mean, yeah, Alicia, I guess you're generally dealing in quite warm countries, but it'd be interesting to flip the other way around and go, you know, are you seeing hydrogen as a residential thing coming up in any of your discussions? Yeah. So, but Patrick, maybe if I put to you first, is it coming up? I, I, 
I think the the one theme that I think we have at the moment a little bit more is the conversion of, for instance, gas cook stoves to, you know, some of the, the, the traditional kind of utilities or whatnot, advocating for that conversion from natural gas to hydrogen uh, kind of ready burners and things like that. You know, I, inevitably this conversation is coming. And obviously, you know, depending on where you live in the United States, your your environmental conditions can be quite different. So, yeah, I think I think one of the the designations in the the, the DOE's FOA was for looking at um, kind of um, some of those home conversions and heating kind of pathways as well. Um, it's a challenging, it's a t- potentially challenging use case, but you know there there are also you know aspects of it that that kind of can work well, and I think it, it's one that's likely going to be disp- debated and discussed an awful lot more um, kind of going forward. But yeah, right now the the United States market on hydrogen is is a buzz with um, a combination of the joy of PTC related. Uh, well, the, uh, the PTC is the production tax credit. Um, but like, look, we're 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 seeing an awful lot of of folks uh, looking at different use cases and points, and looking at different systems, and you know, certainly to bring it back to this conversation, discussing the the role and positioning of you know SOFC style technologies versus other kind of technologies in in the electrolyzer or fuel cell space is going to be an interesting part of this. Um, but also, given the range of systems that Bosch seems to be involved in, I'm sure we'll be. We'll be discussing some of their uh, direct applications soon enough. I mean, it is here living it the other way. I've, I've, as I was alluding to, I suspect a lot of the countries you're in probably don't use much um, hydrogen sort of on the residential side. That's not really an option. I'd be obviously if that's wrong, I disagree. But as someone who also you know, grew up in the US, you know, maybe put the same question up to Patrick. I mean, how do you, you know, think about that? You know, to my mind, UK has kind of been an interesting one for hydrogen because. It's quite small, and yes, the homes are a bit pokey, but probably a lot can be electrified. I guess in the US, energy security and remoteness is actually kind of a, a bigger deal there, and maybe hydrogen is more interesting. I don't know. Would be would be great to get your thoughts. I mean, there's a big range in the United States. Uh, I would say there's a, a lot of suburban living that could be in one category. You know, that has a, a forced heat a system um, throughout the house. And I mean, that I, that could be a hydrogen boiler and it wouldn't make a difference really. I think it could be done. I mean, obviously people have their safety questions about hydrogen, which is a really basic one. But once that's crossed, I mean, I, they're just looking for less pollution and lower pricing. And there's the two things that are going to drive the decision-making. But the houses, I would say on average in comparison to London, um, and to his point, I mean, they're they're newer, they're better insulated, they're uh, further apart. Um, so there's also some arguments for heat pumps as well, because uh, there's plenty of space to put the outdoor unit. You know, they could do ground source even. They don't have to do air source. So because they're not going to be stealing from their neighbor, they're too far away from the neighbor. So, I mean, I don't know. It really is would depend in the U.S. I think the U.S. covers most of the world in cases. No, I, I think the thing that I was thinking back to is something that we take for granted in UK and in a lot of Europe is security of supply. You know, generally speaking, you know, most homes don't really worry about security of supply. Some do, but it's generally quite a small section of the population. Whereas in the US, I think a much larger portion of the population, security of supply around energies on the power side is quite sensitive. And I guess that's one of the things that I hadn't really thought about too much, but, you know, just sort of prompted me to think after the conversation. 
you know, if you are living in, you know, parts of the US, and I can imagine this is true for other countries as well, where, you know, the grid gets knocked out by natural catastrophes fairly regularly because some sort of storm, hurricane, something hits it, floods hits it, whatever it might be, you know, having a secondary form of heating that you can use that's not just electrical is probably quite important. And, you know, I, even though I don't think the best application for hyd green hydrogen is for, for residential heating, I, I kind of, I can, I haven't heard anyone make the case around energy security really in the space. And I just wondered, it, you know, ironically, is the US actually a market that could make that space, make that argument for it quite in quite an interesting way on the ground of security supply? I, I don't have any real personal history with uh, difficulties with energy security. And I remember losing power once in my childhood. <laughs> and I remember because it was a very, very hot uh, summer in Des Moines, which is like a swamp in the summertime and we lost air conditioning. But I just got back from India where my husband's family lives. And every time we go to India, we lose power like once a day in a very nice development. Um, it's just a fact of life. And, you know, even the television coming in is coming in on a satellite. And when there's a cloud that disappears. <laughs> so you just like keep moving, you know, things just stop for a while and then they come back on. Uh, it's not ideal, but I think actually most of the world is living in a situation that's closer to that than um, constant supply and constant um, security of, of having your electricity or your energy when you want it that second. Um, some, some, you know, not everywhere is that reliable. No, agreed. Well, look, um, obviously there's a couple of other guests we've got coming on in the next couple of weeks. So we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll leave that, uh, dangling out for our audience that, uh, we're probably going to go to, we'll go from the very large corporates to probably some of the more smaller and more, um, say small is probably unfair to them, but after Bosch, everyone seems small. Some of the kind of, uh, you know, more, more nimble, let's recall them that more nimble players. I think we, we should end on the words that we just heard, which were, uh, uh, watch this space. There's more to come. I did have one, one last one. I know I'm terrible for this. You can all complain about it afterwards. Alicia, you are in Egypt. You have got COP coming up. It would be criminal for me not to ask because this is the predictions game we all like to do. Yeah. Could you give us two or three of your predictions for what will happen coming out of COP? Predictions. Okay. Um, I think that Egypt will announce something pretty incredible in the hydrogen space. And I don't know who else will be on board with that, but um, probably one of the G7 and some of the Arab League sort of surrounding entities that have already expressed a lot of interest in green and blue hydrogen. Uh, I think there'll be something, I don't know what it is, but I think there'll be something that comes in the uh, first days of, of COP. And then um, the emphasis is on energy, necessary energy, all kinds of energy, but then also hydrogen. I think there are a couple of days. There's uh, on the 8th and the 9th and then on the, the 12th and the 15th. So towards the end of COP, I think you'll have more hydrogen-specific announcements. But um, I think in the first two days, there might be something interesting. And, um, you know, we might even actually make an announcement too. So if we're thinking about it, I, I think there's probably lots of other people attending that are, are going to be sending uh, notes out. But it's, um, yeah, I, I think this is, people are more excited about this this year than they were last year. 
um, which is interesting to me. I mean, this is a, this is really driven. I think I just heard there were 66 hydrogen projects announced in in just the just Egypt, uh, just North Africa, um, just the top of North Africa. And there have been 66 projects announced, and I think all of them within the last year or year or two. Um, so it's a uh, it's it's interesting, and Egypt seems to really be taking this on as as a real growth opportunity for for the country. Um, so we'll see. And I definitely think there's going to be some pipeline planning as well. So that might be part of it. I would I would predict a pipeline announcement. Um, I don't know from where to where, <laughs> but uh, I think there's something coming from this area, from say the MENA region up to Europe in, in some form that is definitely being planned. Of course, there's X-Links, which is out there. People, people are talking about that in public. But I think there's other things being planned um, with G2G uh, conversations. So we'll see. Very, very interesting. Some some big cliffhangers there. Patrick, maybe I'll spare you having to do any cliffhangers and I'll put you on the next episode to do the dissection of COP. Or do a post, actually. Post and pre. Deal. And that does it for us today at Everything About Hydrogen. A huge EAH thank you to Vanjay Rajakoba, UK Managing Director at Bosch, for speaking with us on the show today. And thank you, as always, to Alicia, Patrick, and Chris for their masterful co-hosting abilities and hard work on the show. And as you know, we love to hear from our listeners here at Everything About Hydrogen. If you have any questions for us or our guests and would like to get in touch with us, please send us an email at info at h2podcast.com or find us on Twitter at, at about hydrogen. Last if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. It really does help us promote the show and reach a larger audience. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Till then, all the best from the team here at Everything About Hydrogen. Hydrogen.